Isaiah chapter 6, and I want you to think on this message, I want you to think on this, this subject this morning, and, and we feel like God's got a great work that He wants to do here today. I want you to think on some things must die. Some things must die. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because... Excuse me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. You may be seated. May God add the blessings to the reading of His Word as we stand and preach this morning. Now, we want to pray today that the Word of God will take effect in our lives. And we're going to look at this message of Isaiah. I've preached on this before and, and we really spent some time focusing on, uh, on how that this worship experience of Isaiah culminates. Uh, how that it ends in Isaiah answering the call of God to go out and to be sent and, and to minister to the world in which he, he lived in. Uh, but let's, let's start looking at this text. I'm going to do something just a little bit different this morning. And, and so if you don't follow me here, you may be lost. But rather than working our way from verse 1 on down, <coughs> excuse me, through verse 8, I'm going to kind of jump right in the middle of this text, if you will. Uh, and then at the end of the message, we'll go back to the beginning of the text. I know it's, uh, that's not the way you're supposed to do it, but I'm just going to give it to you like I've received it. And so what's happened here, you've got to understand that Isaiah has been through this time of great prosperity, or Israel has been through a time of great prosperity, great blessings. They've been through a time when God had just blessed them wonderfully. And then Uzziah died, the king that had led in all of this prosperity, this economic blessing and, 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 uh, and military blessing and spiritual uh, blessing. Uh, and, and he died. And so Isaiah done what only thing he knew to do is he ran to the house of the Lord. And boy, isn't that different than you and I. We have a bad day. We just want to stay home from church. When things don't go our way, we run from God instead of to God. Uh, but Isaiah, he ran to the house of the Lord. He didn't know where else to go to. And so he runs to the house of the Lord. And, and all of this language we see in this, in this Old Testament writing, it's just, a, to sum it up, it's a beautiful expression of Isaiah's getting to the temple out of need and out of want and just meeting with God in all of His glory and all of His, his fullness and, and all of His grace. I mean, Isaiah, he just had church. And he walks in, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne. We can spend a lot of time just preaching on that, and we have in the past. The fact that God, he's still on the throne. Just because Uzziah died, that don't mean God died. 
Just because you had a bad day, that doesn't mean God had a bad day. Just because you got a phone call that caused you to stumble and fall, that doesn't mean God got a phone call that caused Him to stumble and fall. Just because you're ready to give up, that doesn't mean God's uh, ready to give up. Uh, just because you don't have the strength to stand, that doesn't mean God doesn't have strength to stand. Uh, just because you don't know where to go, that doesn't mean God's confused and unknowing Himself. I'm telling you, listen, according to Isaiah, God was on His throne then, and in eternity future, He still sees our Savior seated high upon the throne. And we could preach about that today. What Isaiah did here, he just had a personal experience with a high and a lifted up and a holy and an enthroned God. Now I pray this morning that you've had that experience and you've had it recently. I pray that in your mind that you can go back and there's been times in your mind when you know that you had a personal experience I'm not just talking about salvation and being born again. I pray that you have a place and a time where you know you're saved. And I'm talking about a place and a time where, where the Lord just got real in your life. Because listen to me, if you're not careful, that is to be, that is to be the experience of the Spirit-filled life. Even in valleys and trials, there are to be times when we have personal encounters with God where God shows up in our worship time, whether it's at home or here or in a prayer closet. And, and, and the Lord Himself just gets so real. We're, we're speechless, we're stunned, we're awestruck, and we just worship Him from every point of our being. I pray that's happened to you recently. And if it's not, then it needs to be your experience today. And you need to get along with God and let God just move in your life in that way. I was thinking about some times when God has moved in my, in my life like that. And I'll never forget one time when I just surrendered to the ministry. <coughs> Excuse me, I've, to I've talked about it, I've preached about it, but my focus was on the prayer of the moment. Uh, but I remember I come over here, I don't remember exactly, maybe it's Macon County it seemed like. I went to revival one night over in Macon County and it was in the fall of the year. And, and, and during that revival I, I was supposed to go, when I got back home I had a buddy of mine waiting on me, Brother Randy. And we, we were going to go to the woods. He had already got my dogs and he, he, had, he was going to have them loaded and have collars on them and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and I remember at that meeting last, that, that night that God just started dealing with me in such a way and I felt a great need in my heart. We had this man, that same buddy. We had this big tall, uh, uh, this big tall ridge line that we would we would often go to and pray right on top of this. This is just a big knob there, and it was kind of open and and uh, and big oak trees just dotted that that hilltop, and there was grass that grew around there. It's a the beautiful spot to pray, and. And we had that place, but I, I felt a need that night when I left that revival that I needed to go and, and get on that hilltop and just labor the night away in prayer. And I called him on my way home, and I said, listen, I, I can't go. And he said, well, what's wrong? I said, well, I've just got a burden in my heart tonight that I need to go, and I need to, I need to go up on that, that certain knob, and I need to get up there, and I need to pray, and and stay alone with God. And he said, well, he said, I'll go with you. And I said, no, you don't understand. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I said, you just go on and, and take my dogs and you go, uh, you go hunt where we hunt. It wasn't far from there. But I said, you just go on. I'm, gonna, I'm going on up there. I just need to. And he said, no. He said, I'll, he said, I'll go with you. And I said, but you don't understand. I said, I may be there all night. I just know I've got to get on that, that mountaintop and I've got to get along with God for a while. And he said, no. He said, I'm going to put the dogs up. 
He said, I'll take them back to your house. And he said, I'll go. And, and he said, I'll stay with you till it's over. And I said, well, I don't know how long I'll be. He said, that's all right. And I said, well, if you want to go, I'll pick you up and we can go. But I, I said, if uh, he lived about two miles down the, just straight on down the mountain, and I said, well, if it's going to be an all-night thing, I said, you just you can leave when you want to leave. But I said, I'll just walk out in the morning, and I'll, I'll come to your house and get my truck. And so I picked him up, and we went up on that hilltop there, and I'll never forget this. The prayer was wonderful, but I, I'll never forget <coughs> parking where we parked at and making our way around old logging road and pulling out on that big hilltop on top of that knob. And, and I remember when we got there that night that, boy, the Spirit of the Lord was already there. I mean, God just got so real. We hadn't even, hadn't even had a chance to say anything or do anything. Hadn't even picked out a praying spot. But we just pulled out there, and when I, when I stepped right out on the crest of that ridge at the top of that knob, it's like the Spirit of the Lord just settled right in all around us before we could even cry and before we could even and pray. And boy, then it hit me all at once, the presence of the Lord there that night. Boy, I'm telling you, I began to weep then, and I began to cry just standing in place. Now, some of you, that doesn't seem too significant, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, men... Men, we have, men have this, men don't cry around each other easily. How many of you knew that about men? <laughs> well, well, man, that night, I'm telling you, the presence of God just hit me, and I wasn't just, I wasn't crying like a man cries. I, I was crying like a woman cries. You know how she just boo-hoos and slings snots and all, slings snot and all that. And men, men have this unspoken rule. There's like this number one man rule, Drew. That, that when you're together with a man in a worship experience and, and, uh, and, and, and your brother cries, men, you're not supposed to look at each other. And, and so, and so uh, I wasn't looking at him and he wasn't looking at me, but, uh, but my old buddy, he knew I was weeping because, man, I'm telling you, God showed up in all of His fullness and all of His glory. And men, let me just tell you something. You, you know you're in for it. Once your lip starts to quiver, you better bail out then because you're about to start crying. And so that, that, night, we, that night we met there and... And when I just stood there for just a little while, just experiencing God's presence, but then we were able to get out and, and we were able to pray. And man, I'm telling you, <coughs> like few times in my ministry and few times in my life, God showed up on that hilltop that night. In fact, the presence of God was so real and just uh, His glory and His grace and His love and His, His compassion that I was, I was afraid at one point to even open my eyes. I was afraid of what I would see. I felt we were in the presence of angels that night because the Lord showed up in that kind of fullness. When's the last time you've ever experienced that? When's the last time you've ever, when's the last time you've ever drunk water in the middle of the desert? When's the last time you've ever had bread when you were hungry? When's the last time you've went back to the well that never runs dry and got yourself a drink of that well? Man, He wants that for you and it's available uh, to you. It's, not, it's much more than just coming on Sunday morning and getting an hour of singing and preaching and then going back home dead and dry. God wants that fullness to come, to, for you to experience that fullness because He... That's what he's got in store for his children. And then I remember one time that I started thinking, Lord, give me, show me another time. I remember one time that I'd been called to preach at a church way down, way down on the north end of Haywood County, way down in, in, in northern Haywood County. <coughs> and I remember I got up that, that morning. I was, hadn't been preaching too awful long. And I remember that I got up and I was getting ready. When I went in the bathroom that morning, 
my foot. I was barefooted. I turned the corner to go in the bathroom and I caught the corner of the door and I stubbed my toe. Now, let me just say, number one, that is a test as to whether you have woke up living in the flesh or living in the Spirit. Uh, you, that, that's a discerner real fast as to what kind What did you say? I said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me let it happen again. I enjoyed that. No, I didn't say that. But I, I, did, and I, did, I didn't really look down. I mean, it, every time you stump your toe, doesn't it feel like you've broke your toe every time you do that? And so I thought, man, this feels like I broke my toe. It hurts. Good grief. Where did that door come from? Well, then I looked down, and when I looked down, I seen my little toe was sticking out at a 90-degree angle straight to the side. And I thought, I've never broken a toe before. I've broken my nose, a finger, a tailbone, a vertebrae in my lower back, both bones in my leg. I don't even know where else. I've never broken a toe, but I'm pretty sure my toe's not supposed to turn that way. And so Sarah and I, we were dating at time, and I was living down below where her mom and dad lives in a trailer, and I called her. She was going down there with me that morning, and I, I called up there, and I told her, I said, you're going to have to drive this morning. In fact, I need you to come down here, and I need you to help me take my toe to the rest of my foot because I can't get my shoe off. And so she come down there, and I called uh, the chairman of the deacons at this church. I told him, I said, listen, I'm, I may not be there till preaching time this morning, but I promise you, I'll be there. By the time you need that pulpit occupied, you go ahead and have Sunday school and sing, and I'll be there when I'm supposed to be there. And so she come down, and I took that little toe, and I pushed it right in against those other toes and straightened it up and took tape and taped it, taped it together so I could get my foot in my shoe and, I, and still hurting like the devil, you know how. But we got down to that little church that morning and I got to preach on Genesis 22 about there Abraham and Isaac going to that mountaintop to worship where he would offer his son on that, on that wood. And boy, I got behind that pulpit in a way God had never dealt with me. God started dealing with me and I could see so clearly in my mind the picture of another only son who was nailed to a tree and laid upon the wood and he, he died for my sins and your sins and God began to move and, and I got to experience his presence and that toe, I never felt that toe until I got done preaching. Boy, then it all come on me, but boy, how the Lord showed up in such a mighty way. We left there and Sarah said, I don't know what got into you today, but she said, I've never seen you preach like that. I said, I've never had God touch me like that before. Amen. Just in the middle of preaching, it was as if the hand of God, I remember it so, so vividly, how it, just, how it just jarred me out of, out of complacency and how it just moved me out of, uh, out, <coughs> out, of, out of a lukewarm heart and how the Spirit and the love of God flooded my soul. And then I started thinking about all the times that God's moved around here. By the way, let me share something with you. Isaiah said that, that the, door, the post of the door was moved with the presence of the one that sat upon the throne. Let, let me say something. It's not a small thing when, when God moves. God, God doesn't owe us that. God doesn't have to move in your life. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. And whenever God moves in our lives, or where God moves, those become holy, sacred places. You don't just walk away from where you've seen God move without there be repercussions, without there being consequences in your life. And, we, you know, we have a generation today who, who they'll just church hop, I mean, just like fleas on a dog's back. 
They'll stay somewhere until something makes them unhappy and then they'll go to another church somewhere. Used to be people only left the church because the preacher started preaching false doctrine or because the church had become a, a heretic church. Uh, but today people just leave the church because, well, they've had their feelings hurt. Uh, things have not went the way that they thought they ought to go. Uh, and they just leave and run somewhere else, well, they'll only be there for a while longer too because sooner or later it won't go their way at that church. One fellow left the church one time and he, he told me, he said, I don't really know why I'm leaving. I said, well, am I not preaching the word? Oh, you're, you're the best preacher I've heard. I tell people that. Uh, is something wrong with the church? No, the church, the church is still good. Well, why are you left? I don't really know. Friends, listen to me. When you've been where God's moved, don't count it a small thing. That's a significant thing. That's the place where you need to set your feet and plan to stay. Now that's where you ought to hang around for a little while because if God's moved in the past, uh, as long as we stay in the Word and prayed up and love each other, God's going to move again and God's going to move in the future. And so the, the, the Isaiah here, he just got to experience uh, the presence of God. And, and then real quick, just... It's moving on very quickly. The very next thing he does, he makes this humble expression. Uh, he, he had a personal experience and now he makes this humble expression. He's met with God and here's what happened. Here's what happened. He said, woe is me. And, and I've said this before. Let me say it again in case you've not been here. But for the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is pointing a long finger and Isaiah is saying, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you for five chapters. And then Isaiah meets with God and he falls on his face in Isaiah 6 and says, Woe is me. Woe is me. So don't ever think you've had worship, true worship, if it's not brought a sense of humility into your life and humbled you. Because every time you really meet with the Lord, there'll always be a time of confession and a sense of humility that'll sweep over you. And, and then Isaiah, then after that confession, he's cleansed, he's met, and got the fullness of God. Some of you, you need that right now more than anything. In fact, you've had, you've just, you in recent days, you've had just a, you've had fullness of people. Sometimes, some of it's been good people, some of it's been bad people in your life, but people have filled your life up and filled your heart up, but it's been a long time since you've really had the fullness of God and His glory. It's oozing from your pores in a worship experience. And when it happens, there'll be a time of humility, time of confession. And then there's this great exclamation that Isaiah makes in verse 8. After, after meeting with God, he says this, he said, Lord, hear my sin me. Hear my sin me. It's almost like he just blurts it out. He's, he's met with God and he's, he's been cleansed. And the Lord says, okay, who am I going to send? Now remember, Isaiah's done been confessed. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the Lord says, well, who am I going to sin? And Isaiah just jumps up and he says, here am I, send me. Let it be me, Lord. Now you listen to me right now. This thing is bigger than me and you. It's bigger than me and you. It's about people. It's all about people. It's, it's not been that long ago in ministry when God met me one day in one of these encounters. And God brought somebody along the path of ministry at that time in my ministry. And, and before, I'd been, just, I'd been preaching to the masses, a hundred or, or two hundred, or I preached this past Monday to about 40 preachers at a, at a pastor's conference in, in Haywood County. 
And until then, I'd been ministering to, to many, the multitudes, you might say. And at this point in ministry, God brought one person along my path of ministry. And I was trying to figure out how to help and what to do and how to minister. And God met me during that time. And, it, and, and, and God spoke so clearly to me, Brother Bobby, and here's what the Lord said. He said, will you forsake the multitudes or the masses just to make a difference in the life of one? Just to make a difference in the life of one, Brother Randy. And I said, yes, Lord, I will. Because, see, listen, there's one in your sphere of influence that's lost. There's one, at least one, in your sphere of influence in your realm of ministry who has need. There's one in your sphere of uh, of outreach, uh, who's broken, uh, who's hurting, who's dying on the inside, who's struggling with the depression we talked about on Wednesday night. And I want to ask you something. In your Christian walk, have you yet, have you made a difference even in the life of one? Just one. Oh, and ever since that day, it's always been on my mind to not look at the multitudes and not look at the masses and not look at the crowd or not look at the tens or the twenties. But Lord, if I could just make a difference in the life of one. Just one. Just imagine. Just imagine. I know we've got folks traveling to, to this morning and some that are sick and folks are here and there today. But just imagine if everybody here this morning, as few as we are, imagine if everybody here determined, I'm going to make a difference in the life of just one. Lord, by your grace, let me help one. By your grace, let me reach one. By your grace, let me, let me change one through you. Let me, let, let me turn one to you. Let me bring healing to one. Just, just one. Use me, Lord, just in the life of one. What would it do to this church and to this community, even to this county, if everybody here today just reached one? Just reached one. Well, now let's back up and I close. Verse 1, Isaiah said this. <coughs> Verse 1, Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, now mark this. Isaiah would have never had a meeting at church where he saw the Lord in all of His glory. I mean, he saw Him high and lifted up, and in His holiest, seated on the throne. That, that ought to encourage the, the most depressed of depressed. When you see God seated, you get a vision of God seated on the throne in heaven. Isaiah would have never had that meeting, that worship experience, had King Uzziah not died first. He would have never been brought to this place of humility <coughs> where that his finger turned from five chapters of saying, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. The chapter 6 where he said, woe is me. He would have never brought to, been brought to that place of humility unless King Uzziah had died first. He, he would have never have come through that worship experience, that time of confession and humility, and then to that place where he said, Lord, let it be me. Let me make a difference, even just in the life of one. 
Let it be me. He would have never have come to that place had Uzziah not died first. Let me tell you about something in the church today and in your life. There's some things that are going to have to die first in your life and in the church before we'll ever meet with God in the fullness of His presence, before there'll ever be humility in our lives and before we'll ever be able to jump to our feet and say, in me. Let, me. let me be the one to make a difference in the life of one. Just one. It would have never happened had Uzziah not died. Some things must die. Preacher, what are you talking about? Well, I would say a good part of it mostly only you know about. But I will tell you this, there was a man come to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, well, he said, the foxes have dens, the birds of the air, they have nests. He said, me, the son of man, I I don't even have a place to lay my head. And the man said, well, Lord, if you'll just let me go, if you'll let me first, let me first go bury my dead, I'll come back and I'll follow you. And Jesus said, no, no. You say, preacher, did the Lord not want that man to bury his dead? What's up with that story? Was Jesus against people taking care of their deceased family? No. No, but it's what he said before he said, go bury the dead. He said, let me first. Me first. See, there's this me first syndrome that's creeped into the life of believers because it's a worldly attitude. And there's this me first syndrome that's crept into the church today. And to be quite frank, it's killing you as a believer. It's killing your family. It's absolutely sending our children down a road of certain demise and destruction. And it's killing the church. There's no place in my life as I belong to Him. There's no place in the life of my children as I try to instruct them in the way of the Lord. And there's no place in the church for a me first syndrome. And there's no place in the pulpit for a me first syndrome either. It's really crept into every area of our lives. It's me first when it comes to church. Having church, we can't get around the fact that the Word of God says that when we assemble together, we are to be here. It's not optional. And today, there's this me first syndrome that if there's something else going on, me first, I'm going to go to it. But if it ain't going on, I'll go to the house of God. Somebody, Lanny Nations and I, we were telling you, Brother I, Lanny Nations and I met in Belks the other night and we had church right there in the middle of Belks. I, we, I told them, I said, we gotta get, we gotta be, we gotta get apart because we're gonna have to give an invitation right here, uh, in the middle of the, whatever section we were standing in at the moment. But we, we, we got to talking about ball and all of that stuff and, oh, it's so much greater than ball. And I, I'm not against ball. I'm against ball if you're playing ball on Sundays. I'm against ball if you're playing ball on Wednesday nights. Uh, but play ball the rest of the time. In fact, if you think you've got a little quarterback uh, under your care right now, uh, then you please, by all means, and I mean this, bring him to the pastor's study after church. I'll pray that God will give him a full scholarship to Alabama. And I pray God will never let him forget that I'm his pastor on game days, on Saturdays when it's within reasonable driving distance. I mean, I, I pray that. But just one of the things, Lane, and I talk about, when it's church time, what the world needs today, they need to see that they, some people still going to stand and they're going to grab that little fella and they're going to say, Coach, I'm sorry, but we'll be back tomorrow night at practice. We've got to go to the house of God. 
And if you listen to me, and if it ain't that, hunting, fishing, whatever, whatever it could be. In fact, when it comes to church, this me first syndrome, we'll almost miss church for about anything. I've seen folks miss church for family. I, preacher, I've got family coming in. We've got to stay home. We won't be there tomorrow. Bring your family to church. Don't they need this? And one, one lady told me, and, and this is right before she quit coming. She said, Preacher, she said, we don't come to Sunday school because that's our family time at home. Well, what do you do with Hebrews 10.25? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. What do you do with that? You've got to get across that. See, there's this me first syndrome. One preacher friend of mine just took a church, and a man met him on the front in the springtime, and a man met him on the steps in the summertime. Come on, and here's what he said. He said, Preacher, I love you and your preaching. You're the best preacher that we've ever had. And he said, you don't know this about me. But he said, me and my wife, he said, we've got a place at the lake. And he said, we won't be back to the end of summer. And, and, and my preacher friend said, oh, you, you quit your job? You, you moved to the lake? There? So, no, it's just on the weekends. We still work, but we just won't be back to church until fall gets here. Me first. Me first. Well, listen, that's not the Bible. That's why Jesus told that man, you can't be a disciple because you've got this man. It's crept into our finances. We've always got a project. We've always got a hobby. We've always got other places where our monies are going, but we can't bring tithes and offerings to God because it's about me first in our, in our finances. And the more we make, the bigger our paychecks get, the more we buy and the more we have, rather than giving more to the Lord like the Word of God instructs us. Am I going too far this morning? I mean, are we all are we all right so far? It, then it's crept into our relationships. We don't have time to minister to that one because it's me first in my life. Because I've involved kids, I've involved my kids in forty-one different extracurricular activities. I've lost all sense of family in our home because I've got to drag, I've got to drag my kids to forty-one different locations. Monday through Thursday night only to do these activities on Fridays and Saturdays. I've lost all sense of family. And if I drove right by somebody standing on the street in desperate need, I couldn't minister to them, Bobby, because the me first syndrome has taken over my life. I got a guy I used to work for, he's still, well, he's, or work with, he's still a deputy. Uh, he's a deputy in Haywood County today. He and his wife went through, he's got saved and he's got in church. Man, that's, that thrills my heart to know some of my old running buddies. Some of my old workmates that they've got. So I've got one. He just left at the Waynesville Police Department. Spent the same amount of time in law enforcement I did. Spent 10 years. They, they have spent untold money training him, educating him, raising him up in a career. He is well established and well on his way to the ranks of high leadership within the department. And just last week after having sold everything he and his wife have, he's moved to Vermont to start a little church up there. But my other buddy at the Sheriff's Department, they went through Asheville one night and seen a man standing on the road and he wasn't asking for money, he was asking for something to eat. And he and his wife went to whatever fast food place or wherever they could go to grab something and they picked up something to eat and they brought it back to that man. And when they pulled over to give him the food, they saw he didn't have any shoes on his feet. Now my buddy and his wife on a date, he gets out of his car sets down on the curb and pulls his shoes off and gives them to that man. And the man sits down and puts them off and he drives all the way back to Haywood County barefooted. 
But see, we're so me first, we, we don't have time to minister to the hurting and the needy and the lost and the hopeless and the helpless because it's all about me first. And God help if it's a particular season going on. You know, my goodness, first it's spring and all of that, and then it's summer, and then it's fall, and then it's winter. There's always going to be a season. But this me first mentality, it's killing us. It's got to die. It's not me first. It's Jesus. And then, our, and then, our, and then we're to have eyes for the world. And, and if Isaiah, if, I, if Uzziah had not died, if he had not died, Isaiah would have never experienced that worship experience. He would have never come to a place of humility and he would have never been in a place where he could say, not me first, but others first. To minister to try to reach that one. And so we could go on and on today. I will tell you this, in the book of Acts chapter 5, a lot of attention is given. Colton, or Elizabeth, you play and sing and come. Uh, <coughs> Acts chapter 5, a lot of attention is given. Listen to this. A lot of attention is given to Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story? You remember what happened to them? Well, they lied to the Holy Ghost of God and God killed them in the church door. Bottom line. God killed them. And so a lot of attention is given to that. That's not the most striking thing of all of that scripture to me. The most striking thing of all of that scripture is, is right after that, the Bible says that many signs, wonders, and miracles took place and that every sick person brought to the house of God was healed. Every sick person was healed and multitudes of men and women were saved and won unto the Lord. Not until somebody died or not until something died in your life and in my life. I want you to do something this morning. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to take your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, take out your gum wrapper. Take out that little script, that little piece of paper stuck somewhere. <clears throat> and I, I and hey, let's make this personal. And you know what? If, if, preaching, if the preaching in this pulpit don't come down Main Street in your heart, you need to get another preacher. Can I tell you that? So if you feel like that I'm preaching at you, then I'm probably where I need to be. If I never hit you, move a little closer and I'll try to eyeball and get you next time. But if I still don't come to Main Street USA in your heart of hearts, then I'm just not a preacher. But I'm not talking to these folks up here this morning. I am, but it goes back. I'm talking to you too, all the way in the back. And so this is for you. I want you where nobody can see. Take your, take your hand. I mean, like this is a, uh, this is a, this like this is a government post office exam. You take your, you cover it, hide it, whatever you got to do. But I want you to write on that piece of paper. What is it that has to die in your life? What's something that needs to die in your life so you can have a worship encounter with God just like Isaiah did? So you can experience Him and all that. Hey, it may be a sin of the flesh. It may be, <coughs> it may be just an attitude. Particularly this me first syndrome that has crept in so quickly and so easily. Just one thing or two things, whatever you need to do. 
Something needs to die in your life. It'll bring you to an encounter with the Lord Jesus. It'll bring you to a place of humility in your life. It'll bring you to a place where you can stand up and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Let me make a difference in the life of just one. If only one, Lord. If I could just change one person's life. Because listen, if you get to that place where Uzziah got to, then you will not just run through a drive through window and grab your food and throw the money at the clerk. But you'll look through that window into her eyes. And you're going to see that she's a soul. She may, may or may not be saved. She may or may not be having a good day. She may or may not be walking in victory. But there's a good chance you'll look in her eyes and you're going to see that she's hurting, that she's searching, that she's needy. That she's wanting. And you may be the only person to be able to minister to her. Just one. Just one. So what is it that needs to die in your life? And here's what you're going to do. You can just come and throw it in this trash can. I started to go to Walmart and buy a big old galvanized can. I went two or three times to buy it. There's a trash can right there. Elizabeth's going to sing, and let me tell you what she's going to sing. I don't, I don't really know, but she come through the house last night playing out on the porch. The other day, yesterday, playing on the porch. She come through, she said, I got something, I got something, I got to write it down. And I knew later, I was busy, I knew later what that was all about. It was like when God gives me something, I got to go write it down really quick. Like I wrote down Isaiah 6, some things must die. I wrote that down about three months ago. Knowing there's got to be some things to die in your life for God to ever really move like you've seen Him move in the past. She wrote this song. God gives a message, if you will, for you today, for Isaiah 6, for dying to some things in your life. And it won't be me first anymore. But it'll be Jesus and then others around you. Elizabeth, you sing and... People need to come, they can come. You stand with us and go ahead and sing, honey.